Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, you can go to the letter of Philemon. Philemon, that's right before Hebrews, towards the end of your New Testament, getting closer to the end of the New Testament. But before the letter of Hebrews, the letter of Philemon. It's been good uh, last week to recall, remember some of the things that our God has done. And uh, this morning, uh, looking at the present and what God uh, is doing, uh, not only as a church, but also as believers, and the expectation that the Lord would have on us even presently as we serve Him and as we seek to make Him known. Uh, If you've ever had a project before that you knew you had to work on, and as you were working on it and seeing the progress, uh, you were really encouraged, even though you weren't yet where you wanted to be. Um, yesterday was a perfect day for cutting grass. If you have to cut grass ever at your house, uh, yesterday was the day. Uh, sunny, not too hot, not cold. It was just perfect for cutting grass. And, uh, and so I was outside yesterday, and our grass uh, is at the stage right now. Maybe yours is like this too, where it seems like overnight it grows so thick And it's so long that it's just a task if you let it go for any amount of time. And I had let ours go for uh, about a week. And uh, and it was very thick and it was was growing pretty high. And I looked at it and it's just kind of like, eh, like when you look at it. Like you see what needs to be trimmed. Uh, There's certain spots in the yard that I have to do with a push mower. uh, And then there's other spots that I can use a riding mower and all that other stuff. So I started yesterday cutting the grass. And so I use a push mower first, cut the one side of the hill, and then I had another hill that's, I say it's like a 90 degree angle, but it's not. It's probably like more of like a 60 degree angle, but it feels like 90 degree angle. And so I cut that and uh, get done with that. And then I get cutting around certain areas that the riding mower won't get. And then after I was done with all that, I get the riding mower out and, and uh, I start cutting this big section of our yard and finish all that and get the trimmer out and trim around some other areas and then start cutting that. And I stop and pause partway through and I look at it and I'm thinking, man, this looks good. Like I'm a little bit like proud of myself, like for how the grass looks and it's nice and neat. And, you know, it's one of those things that I don't do this, but if I did post all the time on Instagram, I'd be like, you know, put it in the background, be like, man, yard looking fresh, like something in the back or whatever word it would be. Right. And, and I'm, and I'm thinking about doing that. And just as I have my like ego, like up at the top level, and I'm thinking how good everything looks, um, my wife Shoshana comes out and she was like, uh, grass looks pretty good. She's like, you know, you didn't do this section though, right? And I'm like, I know I didn't do that section yet. I'm getting to that section. But I was like, observe what I've done first. But there was still more that had to be done. It wasn't finished yet. And I, I use that analogy this morning because it can be easy for us to think about the past about where we were or who we were apart from Christ and see the work that God has done, it can be easy to presently look and say, man, look where God has brought us and look what God has done. But we have to keep in mind and recognize there's yet more to come. There's still more that has to be done. And it can be very easy to grow complacent in that. And sometimes it can be very easy just to stop at looking at the past. And not be reminded of the present work that's before us. Not only the faithfulness of God in the past, but his faithfulness in the present. And God's promise of faithfulness in the future. And so all three are vitally important. And that's why we've wanted to take three weeks to look at 
what God has done and the faithfulness of God and be reminded of that, then look at what God is currently doing and what it is that he is calling you and I to as believers in the present. And then next week, again, uh, Pastor Butch and I will be tag-teaming this in here in the other auditorium uh, that we'll be sharing about some vision for the future as we look ahead at what God has for our ministry uh, as he continues to be faithful to us. So turn to Philemon. Philemon was written by Paul while Paul was in prison in Rome. So this is a prison epistle. And Paul would address his letter to a believer named Philemon, who at the time was an owner of a slave, culturally acceptable at this point in time, named Onesimus. Onesimus had stolen from Philemon, his master, and then he fled. He was not a believer when he did this, and he fled to Rome to try to basically hide. And it was in Rome that he would meet Paul the Apostle. Through his relationship with Paul, Onesimus came to know Christ as Savior. He got saved. His life was transformed, and he developed a great relationship with Paul. And now Paul was sending Onesimus back to Philemon, where he was rightfully belonging to Philemon. He was sending him back, and he was urging Philemon to welcome Onesimus back, not as a thief, but as a brother in the Lord. As a brother in the Lord. Pretty incredible to think about that. Additionally, Paul was encouraging Philemon to offer complete forgiveness to Onesimus and to welcome Onesimus as he would have welcomed Paul himself. We're going to read about this in just a minute. It's an incredible letter. The major theme of the entire letter is biblical forgiveness. Paul was asking Philemon to completely forgive and welcome Onesimus, and he was asking him to lay aside past faults and errors and to forgive as God forgives us. Onesimus' position before the Lord had changed. He was now a child of God, and Paul wanted Philemon to view Onesimus in the same manner. So let's look at this letter together. I want to read it. You can follow along. We're only going to focus in on a small section of verses this morning, but with that backdrop, I want you to hear Paul's letter here to Philemon. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, And Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints, and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy... And comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you, I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. 
If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so does Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Now, this is a very brief letter. It's an incredible letter. I would encourage you to read this and spend some time in Philemon. But to summarize again, this is the letter that Paul would be sending by the hand of Onesimus to Philemon. And I find it humorous. There's much about the letter I find humorous, how Paul writes and some of the things he writes and the way he writes it. But Onesimus, who stole from Philemon, his master, stole from him, left, fled to Rome, and now he knows Christ as Savior. His life has been transformed. He's been a fellow worker with Paul. Paul is now sending Onesimus back to Philemon with this letter in his hand where Paul is saying to Philemon, who would be reading it after Onesimus gave it to him, accept your brother Onesimus as though you're accepting me. And by the way, whatever he owes you, because he stole from you, I am willing to pay you it. I'm writing this with my own hand. I will pay you it back but I'm not going to even mention the fact that you owe me your very life. And so he sends this letter to him, and he encourages Philemon to live out the faith that Philemon was known for. He encourages Philemon in the present to exercise what he has been known for in the past. He's encouraging Philemon to walk by faith and to love as God wants him to love and to share in the opportunity of blessing a brother in Christ as God would call him to. And I think there's a lot of important, valuable things there for us to look at. But this morning, I really want to challenge us. I believe there's a challenge here for you and I as believers in living presently for Christ. And so there are several marks that I'd like to give us that I think as believers, our lives need to be marked by these things if we're going to honor Christ in the present and seek to continue to honor him in the future. And the first is this, let us be marked by love. Let us be marked by love. Look at verse 5. Prior to verse 5, look at verse 4 again, because I want to hit this again. He says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. Let's stop right there. That should sound pretty familiar to you to last week. If you remember Paul's writing in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 that we covered last week, Paul began that letter by saying, I am constantly remembering you in my prayers with thanksgiving because of your labor of love, your steadfastness and hope, right, and your work of faith. Well, very similar kind of greeting and also commendation that Paul's giving to Philemon here when he says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. Paul is is recognizing what he has heard about Philemon. And so when he says, I hear or have heard of, that's testimony, right? That's testimony. That's, that's what Paul is hearing from others concerning Philemon's faith. He's hearing from others concerning Philemon's commitment to the Lord, and that Philemon was marked by love. He was marked by love for brothers and sisters in Christ. He was marked by brotherly love, and it's interesting at the very greeting, he speaks to Philemon, but he also speaks about the church that is in his house. So, so no doubt Philemon was a pretty influential individual, whose home allowed him to welcome the church into his house, believers that were meeting there. And he was also someone very hospitable because Paul even mentions towards the end of the letter, prepare a room for me because I'm hoping that I can come visit with you in the church that is there. 
So Philemon was a believer that was marked by love. And, and it's true that you and I as believers in Christ, if we want a distinguishing mark as a believer, if we want a distinguishing mark that we follow Christ, it should be a life that is marked by love for one another. That's something that's repeated over and over and over again in the New Testament. Uh, I remember in 1 John chapter 4, he says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. John, as we looked at in that letter of 1 John when we were studying that months ago, puts up this contrast between those that love God and love the brothers and those that do not love God and those that do not love the brethren. And he says that they're very much the same thing in that if you know God, you will love. If you do not love, you do not know God. And so the mark that should distinguish the believer is love for one another. And John spells that out there. He would give the example in 1 John 4 of how God demonstrated his love in sending Christ. And yet Jesus would go to the cross and die for our sin that Christ would show forth his love for us, the Father's love for us. And he goes on in verse 15 to say, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we know that we know him and believe in him by the love that we have for one another. Love is something we should be known for. Love is something that should mark our lives as believers. And so I wonder this morning, does your life... Does my life, to those that would see us and know us and watch us, stand out as a life that is marked by love for one another? Does it stand out? Uh, You know, naturally the question could come to our mind of what does that look like? How do we know when we love something or love someone? Because that word is just kind of tossed around about all sorts of things. Um, We use that word love when it comes to, you know, loving or not loving our jobs, or loving or not loving a particular hobby, or different things. I, I was sharing with some, somebody the other day, a gentleman that I met, and he is a golfer. He's a big-time golfer, and, and he, he golfs. He's retired. He golfs literally Monday through Friday, like the first five hours of his day, every day as he's golfing. He loves the golf. And if you talk to him for any amount of time, guess what he's going to talk about? Golf. Either the shot that he hit or the shot that he missed uh, the new club that he bought, the, the new ball that goes farther, and uh, he, he, different scenarios because he, he lives and breathes and talks and prioritizes golf. It's his first five hours of his day, Monday through Friday. He loves golf. We, we understand that term when we talk about hobbies or things that we engage in, things that we like to participate in. Why? Because it, it's what we talk about. It's what we spend our time on. It's what we spend our money on. And so we say that person loves that thing. Uh, we do the same thing when it comes to food. Um, you know, people say, I just love pizza. Uh, I love burgers. I love steak. Uh, you know, if someone says to you, oh, I had some ribs the other day, and people like ribs, they're like, oh, I love ribs. Like, they, they talk about that with food. My wife's an incredible cook. She, everything she cooks is good. And, and there are certain things she cooks, though, that are like my favorite things. And so she'll cook something, and, and I'll eat, and I'll tell her, like, this is really good. And, and she'll, she'll be thrilled, like, that it's good. But she'll, like, be watching to see, am I going to have one helping, or am I going to have multiple helpings? And if I only have one helping, she'll be like, you didn't like it, did you? 
I'm like, yeah, I liked it. It was really good. She's like, well, when I made such and such, you had like three helpings. I'm like, that's because I really like that. She's like, so you don't like this, you know? And I'm like, no, I'm like, I just really love that, but this is good too. I, I can't like everything the same because then nothing is that which I like more, right? And that's, that's how it was growing up for me too. In, in an Italian family with my grandmother and my, my mom, if they cooked something and we ate and you only had one helping of whatever it was, there was kind of an eye watching like, well, there's more left. How come you're not getting more? Right? But there are certain things that you don't have to be asked to get more. You just get it. Why? Because you love that meal or you love that particular food that you're eating. It stands out. We do this with clothes. You probably all know people who like there's that one sweatshirt that they wear like every day or or a pair of pants. And I'm not meaning because that's all they have. I mean they have plenty that they can wear, but it's their favorite. It's the one that's that's the one that's their their go-to one. They just, just love that shirt or love that sweatshirt or love those pants or love those particular shoes because of how they treat them. There's people who, who have shoes that they treat these things as though like there should be in a museum, like with, with tender love and care because they want to protect and, and preserve the shoes that they're wearing. And so they treat them a particular way because of how valuable and important they are. We do this and see this with many things and even in relationships Think about relationships that people are in that when they're dating or when they're just kind of getting to know each other, there comes a point in time in that relationship when people are observing and they're like, oh yeah, they, they, there's love there. They love each other. And we, and we wonder, how do people come to that perspective? How do they arrive at that conclusion? How do they arrive at the conclusion that that is now love? Whether hobby, food, sport, uh, clothing, relationships. Well, obviously, it's, it becomes obvious because of where our time is committed and our energy is committed and our concern is committed and our speech is committed and our money is committed and how we treat and how we observe and how we protect what we love. And so we understand that when it comes to so many different areas of our lives. But what about our relationship with Christ? What about our calling as a follower of Jesus Is it crystal clear to those that see us that our lives are marked by love for one another? Because that's what God has called us to. That's what he says should be true of us as believers in Christ. We should be marked by love. Jesus said in John 13, 35, listen to what he said here. By this all people will know that you are my disciples. Just stop there for a minute. Because this is a pretty powerful statement that Jesus is going to make in John 13, 35. By this all people will know that you are my disciples. Dot, dot, dot. Like if I stopped right there and I was like, all right, tell me what you think. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples. All right, shout them out to me what you think. I don't want you to do that. But if I said that to you and you don't know this passage, you don't know what Jesus is about to say, and we just polled the audience and polled the culture, what would it be that if by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, it will be what? Uh, go to church every Sunday, uh, give money, um, give you know, money to the poor, clothing to the poor, uh, treat others the way you wanted to be treated. Uh, it could be that you would you know, um, talk this way or walk this way. This is what Jesus said. By this all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. The believer is to be marked by love for one another. That shows others that we belong to Christ. Now Jesus would say, a lot more about following him and a lot more about what our lives should be marked by and look like. But in this instance in John 13, 35, he says, by this all people will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. That's what we should be known for. Philemon was known for this 
Because Paul is going to say, I thank my God, verse 4, always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love. I've heard of your love. I hear of your love. You are loving others as God has called you to love them. And oh, by the way, Philemon, that's fantastic because guess what I'm going to ask you to do right now? I'm going to ask you to love your brother, formerly thief Onesimus, and to love him and to welcome him into your home as though you're welcoming me. And I'm confident that you'll do just that. And I'm confident that you'll not only do that, welcome into your home, but you'll go above and beyond the call of duty, if you will, in caring for this brother, for this brother in the Lord that is coming to you from me because I'm sending him to you. That's, a, that's something that Philemon was known for and now something that Paul was highlighting him to be known for presently as well. Might you and I as believers be marked by love? Might we be marked by love? Secondly, let us be people of great faith. In verse 5, again, following his thanksgiving to the Lord, where he talks about giving thanks as he remembers these believers, he says that you, you are remembering your faith. I've heard of your faith in the Lord. He talks about love first, but then he says faith. Verse 5, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. He, he speaks about his love and he speaks about his faith and he says, I'm thankful to God because I hear that you are not only showing your faith towards the Lord Jesus Christ, but also for all the saints. You see, Philemon was a man that was known and marked by love, but he was also known and marked by faith. We, as believers in Christ, should be people of great faith because the one in whom our faith is found in is unchanging, is certain. And so we should be marked by that. In Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 and following, in Hebrews chapter 11, known as that great hall of faith chapter, uh, the writer of Hebrews gives a definition of faith in verse 1. He says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Some translations say it is the evidence of things hoped for, and it is the substance of things not seen. That we believe and know and and trust in our God. That we believe and know and trust in his word. That we believe and know and trust that the spirit of God abides in us. Even though we can't see or touch the spirit of God. We can't see or touch him. He's there though. We believe the words of Christ when he says, I never leave you nor forsake you. We believe the word of God when the word of God tells us what it tells us. Even though some of those things we can't see with our eyes or touch with our hands. We believe and know that's faith. Uh, yesterday I had a, had a great experience. Um, our bathtub uh, has one of those, uh, I don't know what the word would be, like triggers that you put up and down, uh, those nodges that, that if you want the, the bathtub to be plugged, you flip it up, the switch, right? You flip it up on the thing. And it plugs the, the drain so that your water doesn't go out. And then when you want to drain the tub, you flip it down and it opens it back up. Well, it was plugged up. 
and it wouldn't work. And I was flipping this thing up and down, and it just wasn't doing anything. And if you've ever done that, you're like, what in the world? And I was doing that. So I took it apart. I have no idea what I'm doing, but I took it apart, and I pull it out. And when I pull it out, there, there was just like this rod thing and connection contraption. I don't know what the technical terms are. And I was like, I don't think that's supposed to just look like that, but I'll try it. So I put it back in there and jammed it in there and even took like a wrench and kind of hit it down there and thought maybe it just needs to go down farther. And it was still plugged up. And I'm like, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do here. So I do what you do when you don't know is you Google it or YouTube it. I did both. And I, I come to find out, uh, interesting fact in case you don't know this, that, that whatever that technical term is for that switch or whatever, that at the bottom of the other thingy that like connects, is a, it's called a plunger that is about this big that connects to a, a line that when you flip it up, it pushes the plunger down to block the pipe so that your water is blocked in the bathtub. And then when you want to drain it, you flip it down and it just pulls up that plunger. Well, the plunger separated from that line. And it was just stuck. And it's behind, obviously behind the, the, the bathtub wall. And so I, I Google, I'm like, what are you supposed to do? And they're like, well, there's really two options. You can either get the plunger out, which you've got to fish it out of there, or you can, like, go in through your wall, like, and in, in, in go that route. And uh, I'm like, well, I don't want to do that, uh, so maybe I'll try to get this thing out. And so I'm trying to figure out how you get this thing out. Well, the only thing that, like, I found online that would work is if you get a coat hanger, uh, one of those metal coat hangers, create a hook on the end of it, go fishing. Like, you go down there and you try to pull this thing up. One guy said that he took a chain, like, link, and put an S-hook to the end of it, and you just dangle it in there like you're fishing and hope you can catch something. I'm like, come on, fella. Like, he, he goes, it only took me about 15 seconds to do that. I'm like, that's not going to happen. So I thought, I'll go, I'll go to Hartville Hardware and find out what they recommend if they have some special tool to suck that thing out of there. they got to have something. So I go there, and I'm talking to the guy there, and he's like, well, pretty much the only thing you can do is get a coat hanger. And I'm like, ah, oh, it's going to be the coat <laughs> So naturally, I'm looking through like every closet in our home. We have zero metal coat hangers, like all the plastic ones. And I even went to a couple stores looking for a coat hanger. And before I went to the store, I was at the house. And I'm like, I don't know where I'm going to get a metal coat hanger. And my wife's like, why don't you just go to the dry cleaner down the road and ask them if they'll give you a a metal coat hanger. They have plenty there. I'm like, nah, I'm not going to go to the dry cleaner. So I, I checked a couple stores. No one had them. I even like Googled like, where can I get metal coat hanger? And no one, I'm like all right, I'll go to the dry cleaner. I'm like, I know this is going to be a real weird request. I'm like, but do you guys have any like metal coat hangers? I could grab one. She's like, ah, how many do you want? I'm like, okay. So she gave me a couple coat hangers, took them home and I walk in the door and Shoshana's like, so where'd you get those at? I'm like, dry cleaner, you know, and come in. So anyhow, I go in there and I did the hook. And before I put this hook down there, to get the plunger out, I studied this diagram. And I say study, I mean, I looked at it for like a minute to look at the diagram of what the plunger looks like, what the line looks like, so I knew where the hook was that I had to snatch this thing out of there so that I knew right where to put this hanger. And so it was completely blind because you can't see in the hole. It's like a foot to foot and a half down, and it's stuck down below. And so I put this hanger down there, and like, I'm like, Lord, please let this work because I don't want to like have to tear apart the bathroom to get it. And if that was not the thing, you could do something else, come tell me in case this happens again because I don't want to tear my bathroom apart if I don't have to. And so I put my, this, this hook down there and I'm kind of like this, kind of like twisting it around and I'm just like, and I pull it up and there's the plunger. First try, plunger. And I pull that sucker out and I'm like feeling like man of the year. Like I have this... I have this plunger out, and I call my wife in. I'm like, honey, come here. She comes in. I'm like, 
water's draining. And she was like, oh, that's great. And she just walks in the other room. I'm like, do you not know what I've done? Like, what if it just accomplished a major thing here? And, and I had that plunger in my hand. I looked at it. I'm like, huh, it's just like the picture set, like when I looked at it. And I knew. Well, here's why I share that story. Some people say faith is blind. They say our faith in God is blind faith. It's not blind faith because we know with certainty what is true of our God, right? We know with certainty from his word the one in whom we believe in. Just as when I was fishing out that plunger, as though I couldn't see it down there, I did study a diagram that showed me exactly what the construction of it was so that when I put that metal hanger down there and thought I was there, I knew right where to twist it if the diagram was correct to pull that thing out. Your faith and my faith is not blind faith in Jesus Christ. It is faith that is found in certainty. It is faith that is found in an eternal, unchanging word of God. What we believe about our God is absolutely 100% true. What we believe about our Savior, Jesus Christ, according to the word of God, is absolute truth. That is not blind faith. That is great faith in a great God who we believe with absolute certainty. And if we truly believe, we should be marked by great faith. We should be people of great faith who believe in our great God. At the end of Hebrews chapter 11, the writer says this, What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword and were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war and put foreign armies to flight by faith by faith by faith what can we currently look at in our own lives that we can say with certainty by faith god is doing this by faith god has allowed us to accomplish this faith is the assurance of things hoped for it's the conviction of things not seen We can strengthen our faith today by remembering God's faithfulness to us. We can strengthen our faith today by remembering God's word and his promises to us. We can strengthen our faith as we look around and see the way God is at work in the lives of his children and all that God is accomplishing in the world even today. We can talk with other believers. We can talk with our God and strengthen our faith. Let us be people of great faith. Philemon was an individual that was marked and known for his love and marked and known for his faith. And Paul now was asking him to act on that again as he would receive Onesimus back to himself as a brother in Christ. Number three, let us be sharers of our faith. Verse six, he says, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother. Listen, he says, listen, I want the sharing of your faith to become effective for the full knowledge of God. It's interesting because Paul is talking about all these things in Philemon's life. Philemon, praise God, I thank God because you're marked by love. You're marked by great faith. You're marked by, as someone who is sharing his faith, who is making his faith known. And, and oh, by the way, what greater way than to continue that reputation of love and of faith 
What greater way than to spread your faith as you demonstrate Christ-like love and forgiveness and compassion to your brother Onesimus, who I'm sending to you right now. Be a person of great faith, but be a sharer of your faith. Be a sharer of your faith. And to echo again what, what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 when he said to the believers there that the word of God has sounded forth from your life. Listen, as a believer in Christ, the word of God should be sounding forth from our lives. From our words, our actions, everything about us should be proclaiming and sounding forth the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. It should be seen and it should be known. I remember shortly after coming to know Christ as Savior, just around my teenage years, um, I had a, a very good friend that I played, was on the baseball team with, like all the way growing up. We were on the same team all the way growing up, and even when we were in high school, same baseball team, and uh, very close friends. And I remember sitting in my house one day after practice, and uh, God really impressed my heart with this, this individual, uh, my buddy that, that I felt like, I don't know if he knows Christ, and I felt like, I, I got to tell him right now. And I remember calling him up on the phone, and uh, we'll call him Jim, and I was like, hey, Jim. I'm like, listen, uh, you have a minute? Yeah. Hey, great practice today. By the way, if you were to die today, would you go to heaven or hell? And he's like, what? And I'm like, would you go to <laughs> heaven or, or hell? And, I, and I, I felt so burdened to share the gospel with him. And we had a great relationship. And, and it kind of went out the door in my mind about like, will he ever talk to me again? Will he ever respond to me? How will he respond? Because I was so impressed by God to share the gospel with this individual. Came to find out like years and years later, his mom was talking to me. Years and years later, and, and, and she said that my buddy did come to know Christ as Savior, and that and he had a relationship with Christ. I was just floored by that. I was amazed by that. And, and she had mentioned to me the impact that even when I was in school, when I would be sharing the Bible and stuff, not even knowing he was listening, it was impacting me. Now, I share that about as an example of when I did something that I felt like was honoring God and following God, but I can share countless examples of when God has given me an opportunity and pressed on my heart to share about Christ with someone, and I just didn't do it. For whatever reason, whether out of fear of what they might think or what they might say, whether a fear of how it might strain or change our relationship, about what they might think or say about me or about what I have to share with them, and I just didn't share it. My hope for my life, and I would trust the hope for your life, is that we would be always ready to give an answer, that we would be quick to share the gospel, that we would be sharers of our faith. Yes, we should always be bold and always be seeking to share about our faith, but we also should be always living in such a way that causes people to ask us about the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. Always be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. When people see us following Christ, when we live lives that are marked by love and faith, they will also be marked by sharing that faith because people will be asking and we will be seeking to make known the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I ask this morning, how are you in sharing your faith? How are you in sharing and opening up about who Jesus Christ is and what Christ has done in your life? How are you about crossing the path of someone that you know does not have a relationship with Christ and making mention to them clearly about a relationship with Jesus and what Christ has done in your life, in my life? Are we sharers of our faith. And then number four, let us be encouragers to the saints. He says, I've, verse seven, I've derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints, look at, have been refreshed through you. 
See, Paul's going to be asking Philemon to refresh the saints again. He's going to be asking Philemon to care and comfort, show compassion, love, and mercy to the saints again as he sends Onesimus to him. Imagine the testimony that that would be to a watching church. Imagine the testimony that would be to a watching church who no doubt would have known Onesimus had had stolen from Philemon. And that's why Onesimus, by the way, got out of town and went to Rome. He didn't want to be known for that. He didn't want to be held accountable for that. But imagine the response of the church to Philemon welcoming back Onesimus who owed him greatly and forgiving what needed to be forgiven and loving him as a brother in Christ acknowledging that Christ has transformed his life. You want to talk about a challenge for the church, a refreshing challenge for the saints. Let us be encouraged to the saints. And Paul says, I have already derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Philemon was already doing that. Understand that when Paul's writing this letter through the hand of Onesimus to be given to Philemon, he's writing to a believer who already in the past has demonstrated all of these things, faith, hope, and love. He's already demonstrated a faithfulness and a refreshing of the saints. And Paul's writing this letter, and in essence what he's asking him to do is, Philemon, do what you've already been doing for Onesimus. Do what has already been done in your life. Keep allowing what has marked your life to this point. Keep allowing it to mark your life moving forward. Do what you've been doing. Honor God. Have faith. Show love. Show compassion. Refresh the saints. Share your faith to all that would watch and listen. Imagine the questions from a watching world that would come Philemon's way. How could you let this guy back into your own house? He's a thief. He stole what was not his from you, and then he split and left and went to Rome, and now he's back, and you're going to welcome him into your home? Why would you ever do that? What a golden opportunity to share what Christ has done and the reasoning behind his love for this brother. And that's what Paul was calling him to. And he says in verse 21, as he closes his letter, Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. Can I just say it would be incredible if you and I as believers, our lives and our testimonies were so well known amongst fellow believers that when we would be called upon to act in a way that would honor Christ, that people would have absolute confidence that we will do just that. That was Paul's mindset towards Philemon. He wasn't asking him anything easy here. He was asking him something that would not be easy and that apart from Christ would never happen. But Paul's so confident that he says, I'm confident of your obedience, knowing that you will do even more than I say. And then, not only is he confident he'll do it, but Paul's pretty confident that Philemon's not going to have a negative attitude towards Paul either because Paul's like, oh, and prepare a room for me so that when I come, I can see you, so that I can stay with you. And then all three of us can just rejoice together. You, me, Onesimus, you know, big happy family here. This is an incredible letter. It's an incredible encouragement, and it's an incredible reminder That just because we have demonstrated faithfulness to God in the past, 
does not alleviate the responsibility of that same faithfulness in the present. It's something that should continue. It's something that we are called by God to continue. To be marked by love, to be marked by faith, to be sharing that faith, and to encourage one another. And in doing that, Christ is glorified. Let's be about that work as a church, as the body of Christ, and as individuals that follow him. Father, thank you so much for your word this morning. Thank you for your goodness and faithfulness to us. Thank you for your love for us. We pray that you would stir within us, each one as believers, a desire to make Christ known, that we would be bold about sharing the gospel of Christ, that we would be bold about living out our faith, that we, as Philemon did, Lord, would be known for our love and our faith. We would be known as encouragers and not discouragers for the body of Christ, and that we would be quick to be obedient to your word, that we would instill in others a confidence in you and in our own faith and obedience, God, that we are obedient children to you that will glorify your name no matter what may come. Thank you for your word this morning. Please allow us to go from here challenged to put into practice what your word has declared this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.